This podcast is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Revelation 10, 8-11 you are listening to the Tell Me the Story podcast with your hosts, Blaze Webster and Rowdy Wind. Join us as we engage in a complete read-through of the Holy Scriptures, parsing out the original languages with one question in mind. What is the story? In our last two episodes, you heard us talk about the title of Scripture, that is Genesis 1-1, and the character introduction of God. This book functions as our Torah of Torah, revealing to us the nature of the scriptural God so that as we continue to uncover the message of the scriptures, we stray not from this understanding. We must remember to continue from this foundation and not impose our own demands upon the text. Genesis 1.10 is the first realization of Genesis 1.1. The Eretz, the Shemaim, and the Maim finally have their function as previously foreshadowed. This is the transition from the non-living things to the nefesh haim, the living beings. You know how Shakespeare said that the world is a stage and all the men and women are merely players? Well, this couldn't be any more the case in the biblical story. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 10, is God building the set. And the rest of the chapter is God introducing the players into the story. In other words, the biblical authors are setting the stage, the foundation, the head or rosh of the story that is about to unfold. As always, it is vitally important to keep in mind the fact that the Bible didn't originally have our verse and chapter distinctions, so we shouldn't let that distract us. Just listen to what the text itself is saying. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. We hear that God is bringing forth life. Please notice that he doesn't use anything to do so. We don't even have the sun, the luminaries we'll hear about shortly, nor does he use rain. It's just dry land, and separated from them are the seas. That's what we heard earlier in the chapter from our last episodes. He has not caused it to rain on the land yet. That will come in chapter 2. He says that the earth is to bring forth the vegetation that will produce the seed. This is the start of the cyclical nature of our reality. I don't want to get philosophical, but this is just things that we see. The authors of the text are using the reality that they experience to tell the story that they are telling. 
we understand the idea of a cyclical reality, even if uh, it doesn't seem immediately familiar, right? If you go out and look at nature, you see how things interact with one another. This is especially true if you ever go to like a national park or something like that. It isn't so much true at our shopping centers and our non-diverse ecosystems that we have, uh, we have created as humans. But we know, like in our nature documentaries, we see how life interacts with itself. Um, different animals eat different animals, or they cooperate in really interesting ways. So I can go on and on, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's a balance, and we can observe that balance. And then, funnily enough, uh, and this is corroborated with the biblical message, whenever humans intervene, that symbiosis, that, that cyclical nature of reality fades. But here, we see how God is establishing it. Yeah, and so the cyclical nature of creation has a very practical function as well when it's talking about the biblical story and the nature of Torah itself, and that is all tied up in how the scripture introduces the creation of the vegetation. So the creation of the vegetation as the first living beings is important because it's the first time God gives the function of making things, that is our word yas, the beings he has already created. This is expressed within the nature of the seed and its function. Plants spread their seeds and create new plants. This is the foundation of life. Reproduction. Whether you're a microscopic organism or a 66,000-pound humpback whale, the same thing is happening. Even from a scientific perspective, the thing that separates living matter from non-living matter is the action of self-replication. It's literally written in our DNA. Thus, everything is cyclical, and this foreshadows the cyclical nature of the Bible. It's telling you the same story over and over again, literally boring it into your mind. And remember that the seeds and the generations are just stand-ins for God's revealing instruction, that is, the Torah. That's why God's promise to Abraham involves a lineage through Isaac. That's why Matthew and Luke's Gospels both begin with extensive lineages, leading up to Christ, the teaching of Scripture made incarnate, and a human we can relate to. This is all established with the introduction of the vegetation. It's extremely powerful. Let's look at the Hebrew for bring forth, when, when the earth brings forth vegetation. It deserves an aside. So the word in Genesis in the Hebrew is tadshe, which comes from the root dasha, which is only used twice in the entire Bible. Remember, anytime we come across an instance like this, we have to look at it. Aside from this occurrence, the word is used in Joel 2.22 when the prophet is talking about the day of the Lord. So there are visions of destruction, the earth uh, experiencing earthquakes, and things being destroyed, uh, God offering a last testament of forgiveness for people to turn and come to him. He says, even now I will still forgive you. And then Joel prophesies, to the beasts. In 22, it says, Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and vine give their full yield. So after this destruction, this word that we're introduced to here in Genesis 1 uh, for bring forth is echoed in the prophecy um, that talks about how God will return creation to its original order, where it is blessed and not cursed. God will reestablish his work to the blessed state that he made it to be, that he made it to function in. 
The curse in Genesis 3 applies not just to man, but the earth is cursed because of him. So this brings us to another point, staying on this verse, because I, I don't think that we should miss hearing it in the Hebrew, because it's, it's very evocative when we hear it, the poetic, the poetic devices that are being added here. Because here's the thing, the Bible wasn't just read, right? The, the Bible was read by the people that were literate, which, you know, back then was, was quite a few people, actually. But the, the main audience would have heard it spoken aloud in a synagogue and probably would have actually heard it sung, you know, and, and of course that, that tradition still lives on within, uh, you know, rabbinic Judaism, within Islam, within uh, older forms of Christianity, um, you know, the, the act of singing the scripture, because it, it is like a song, you know, I think that um, one of my favorite images for how this works within pop culture would be, uh, you know, if anybody's a Narnia fan, um, the, uh, the book, The Magician's Nephew, when it's talking about the creation of Narnia, Aslan creates Narnia through a song. And I think that the Bible really, in, you know, is, is the basis of, of all that. So, you know, if you listen to the Hebrew in this particular instance in Genesis 1, 11, it goes like this, and there's a lot of rhyming here. You can see where the, 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 the wordplay is, and it, it goes, Vayomer Elohim, Dadshe Haaretz Deshe Esiv Mitzria Zera Etz Pari Asa Pari Lamenahu Asher Zorahuvo Al Haaretz Vahihen. And so you can see where it's talking about Dadshe Haaretz Deshe, right? Let the earth bring forth. That's the root is Deshe, right? And then the grass is Deshe. Right, they, they they also both mean green, so it's like let the earth be green with green, you know. And then it's uh, talking about um, the seeds, right? Mitzria zera, the herb that that seed seed. And then uh, you know it's 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 right there, right in the wording. And you can see the poetic language that it's that it's playing. And and when when you take that into account, when you listen to the Bible in that way, you can see the literary intent of the scriptures to where. You know, you're forced, really, to not just look at it as a document of history, which is how us English speakers see it so often, you know, when it's translated. Because when you read this translated, it's so weak, you know. It doesn't have any of this rhyming and stuff. And, you know, poetry is very difficult to translate. But uh, it seems that a lot of translators, when they translate this part, they, they get rid of, like, the... the uh, alliteration, you know, or, you know. It's... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that reminds me of another place in Scripture, um, the story where Esau comes in after a day of hunting, and he's famished, and he, and he wants Jacob to give him some foods when Jacob sells, or when Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. Literally in the Hebrew, um, Esau says, let me gulp down some of that red red. And yeah. in the Hebrew, it's let me have some of that ha-odam, ha-odam, mm-hmm. which is also the word for man, yeah. adam. Uh, so we'll talk about that more later, but we'll continue to bring these things up as we, as we continue through the podcast, as we continue through our read through, um, because we have the tendency to sit down and read and translate, put it into English and then try to make sense of it. Um, but it is so much more than a text to be read. We need to hear it. Right, exactly. And, and, and we, we need to hear it in its original language too. Cause I mean, even later on when, uh, God gives Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, you know, and they laugh. 
the, the word for in Hebrew for laugh is ishak, you know? And so when, uh, when uh, Isaac is born, you know, and his, his name is, is Itzak, which means to laugh, or, you know, it, it kind of has a connotation of joke, then you, you, you get the irony of, of Isaac's name. Whereas in the English, it's like you hear Abraham and Sarah laughing at the promise, and then their son is Isaac. That means nothing to you as an English speaker, yep. you know? So it's, it's, it's very important to go through this, this stuff. And God said... And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give life on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So as we've learned of God and his character, when he creates, he does so with the intent of that created thing to serve a function, to be useful. So he speaks these lights, uh, I think it'd be better translated as luminary, right, a vessel of light, into existence to, and this is the Hebrew, havdil, the word we've heard before, hevdil, for distinguish between the day and the night. It's important to remember the order in which we are introduced to these aspects of the story. They are masterfully concocted we must consider that here we have heard already that God made the day and the night. Yet it is here that he creates the sun and the moon, the luminaries, right? The things that are responsible for communicating to the rest of creation when day and night are happening. So why are they coming so much later after the vegetation? Remember, God has been wrangling reality into submission and creating, within the context of functionality, useful things to do so. So this is one step in the process. Before the luminaries, there was total day and total darkness. That was the last step in the process. He created the light to keep the darkness at bay. Even the night is ruled by light. It goes on to say, let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. So God started the cyclical nature of reality with the vegetation, and here he is continuing by creating these two pieces to rule over one aspect of this totality. These luminaries are simply tools of God's use, and we will see them later in Scripture uh, when the foolish people go on to worship them, despite this teaching here in the very beginning of the Bible that they are simply part of this cyclical created reality, like man himself or the living beings. This is a slap in the face to any religion that centralizes the worship of these cosmic realities. We all have heard plenty about ancient religions and maybe, maybe even some modern ones that, that worship the sun and the moon. They are obedient servants, nothing more, nothing less. God makes these lights to rule over the day and the night. The Hebrew here for rule is memshelet, which is our beloved word, mashal comes from the root mashal. We understand the role of these created things within the context of the story. Uh, we understand that they are the things that will rule over uh, their respective aspects of reality. Uh, so later, when we hear the word mashal in the context of hearing a story or a parable, we will understand the role of ruling that the story is to have over our understanding of the teaching, because the first time we hear it in the scriptures 
is when it is applied to the luminaries in the way that they rule over creation. God did not create these personalities, these people, these gods within the two luminaries and then appoint them as the rulers of those various things. Um, he created them within the total function of what they are to rule over. Uh, to make that a little bit more clear, we can look at the Hebrew. This part of the verse in the Hebrew text is functioning as what they call a nominal predicate. Uh, we'll talk more about nominal sentences as they come up because they're really important. Uh, when you're reading in Hebrew, they kind of catch you off guard because Hebrew is a verbal-centric language. You always have the verb before you have the noun um, because the action is what's really important. Remember, uh, we talk a lot about functionality and usefulness. Um, that's reflected in the language. That's how the whole language is constructed uh, in other Semitic languages too. Verb and then noun. So when you have the noun first and then the verb that applies to the noun after, uh, most of the time that is what's called a nominal sentence. Very basically, a nominal sentence is when the verb is communicating to the reader or listener an attributive condition to the noun. Uh, so here in this context, mimshelet, the verb to rule, is applying an attribute to uh, the two great luminaries. They have the attribute of ruling over those things. They've been created to function that way. They haven't been made and then appointed like a king would be appointed. Um, and again, like I said earlier, there are a lot of religions that worship the sun and the moon. So we can see here, literally in the way that the authors chose to write this, they're slapping in the face any idea that the sun and moon are persons and that they are to be worshiped. They are showing you that God is in control and the sun and moon, he doesn't need them but he created them to be useful. Yeah, and I think that image is really powerful, especially when we, we think about the function of the luminaries and the stars and everything, because again, it's, you know, the, the night is not total anymore, you know? The night is, is itself ruled by a light, and I, I, I think that's a really powerful image because there is no total darkness anymore, you know? It it's, uh, shows that... Not only does God have control, but, you know, God is our source of life because without light, there is no life. You know, it's, it's integral to, to everything. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a part of the Bible that gets overlooked. People read through it really quickly. I've always read through it really quickly. I'm sure Rowdy has read through it really quickly. But when we methodically go through it, you know, it's, we, we see the, the power in it. And again, it's important to emphasize um, that this is still just the beginning. We're not even further through the first chapter yet. So as we continue through the scriptures, you know, we'll be on this project for years and years. So we will continue to come across these themes, and we'll have to refer back to the title of scripture, Genesis 1, um, to properly apply the meaning that the authors intended. Scripture is its own interpreter. So last episode, or in one of the last two episodes, we, we brought up Jeremiah 4.23, when we were talking about the seas and how God could unleash the power of the seas because he, he, he took them under his control in Genesis 1 because he's above everything, he's over everything, and he's in total control. But that control can be released in order to accomplish his will, 
So like we were just talking about with darkness no longer being in uh, total dominion, because God set these two things, these two luminaries to rule over it. If we look back at Jeremiah 4.23 once more, it says, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens they had no light. So total darkness returns in this instance. It's so very this is just, scary. It's very scary. So this is just another example of how the Hebrew is, in the, in the Old Testament itself, is constantly referring back to mm -hmm. itself, constantly bringing up the same themes. Remember, it's boring, in, boring it into your mind. As each story is birthed from the seed of the previous story, the cyclical nature is continued on and on and on. And we need to hear it over and over again, because hopefully by the time mm -hmm. we do, We'll get the idea. Right, because, you know, you, you uh, get a different idea than when you see the light and the darkness come up later. You're like, oh, wow. You know, yeah. it, it, it all goes back to that, uh, that stuff in Genesis. And then, you know, when you get into the New Testament, whenever that'll be like in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, and, and uh, John the Evangelist, St. John, you know, he's always emphasizing God being light you know, and, and, and being the, the source of light and everything. And that, that has way more power, you know, when, when, you know, he's talking in, in his, his first letter, you know, um, in, in God, you know, there, there wasn't any darkness, you know, it's, it, it's all hearkening back to this. And so we can see what it means for us also as, as Christians to be light in the darkness, right. To be like the stars, you know, there's, there's no coincidence that, God says Abra says to Abraham that his descendants will be like the stars. You know, it's not just that he will have a lot of descendants, it's that they will be the light and the darkness. That's that's what it's saying. They'll be the luminaries. They will be the luminaries. That that's us. You know? Um and so uh yeah, it's just it's way more powerful when you look at it big picture. That's why it's it's vitally important for us to spend, you know, several episodes on one chapter of Genesis because this is where everything is being introduced, you know, so bear with us, yeah. you know, be patient. <laughs> it's like when you learn a new language, all the boring stuff you have to learn first. I don't think this stuff is boring. Hopefully you don't either. Me neither. But this is that stuff. This is what we have to learn first. And that wraps up this episode of the Tell Me the Story podcast. Join us next week as we continue our discussion of the living creatures and their function in the mashal so that we can grow and allow it to rule over us. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be. God bless you all. He shall be like the tree which is planted by the streams of the water.